Well, I'm coming at this from a, quite a different perspective, a much less theoretical one, and a rather more practical one, speaking as a, as a publisher. Um, so I thought I'd just begin with uh, uh, saying something about the evolution of the list that I, um, I edit, which is the Oxford World's Classic series. It's described as a classics reprint series, and it's been in existence now for, um, in one form or another, for over 100 years. It started life in the early years of the last century as a small format hardback imprint, um, with the aim of making available the greatest works of literature. Great books for modest pockets is uh, how they were described. It grew to include all the standard works of classical and English literature, and some not quite so standard works, including multi-volume editions of speeches and documents on foreign policy, on the British dominions, on British colonial policy, a lot of Austin Dobson, the poet and essayist, and eight volumes by Constance Home, the author of a series of Westmoreland novels such as The Lonely Plough and Crump Folk Going Home, personal favourites of the then publisher Humphrey Milford. Uh, some of the books were introduced by other distinguished writers, including Virginia Woolf, who introduced Stern's Sentimental Journey, George Bernard Shaw, who introduced The Way of All Flesh, and John Buchan, whose introduction to The Complete Angler is still in print in the current World's Classics edition. In 1925, one of my predecessors was able to claim that inclusion in the list is, as it were, a hallmark of merit. Gradually, however, demand for the little hardbacks began to decline, and in 1980, the series, that had by then been moribund for several years, was relaunched in paperback. Today, the list has around 750 titles, ranging from the earliest literature of Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt to the mid-20th century, and across the genres of fiction, drama, poetry, philosophy, religion, history, and social science. My job is to decide what to publish in the series and to commission the editors and translators who mediate the text for the modern reader. The focus of the series has changed from one designed to build up a library for the educated general reader into one that's aimed first and foremost at the student. Um, gone are the Constant Holmes and the Austin Dobsons uh, and introductions by celebrity writers. In their place, we have books that are studied at school and university with a kind of critical apparatus that's designed to assist the student and inform the interested reader. The demands of the marketplace really determine what I publish and which books we're able to keep in print. And so for me, in my role as an editor, a classic is simply a book that people still want to read today. This means that the series doesn't represent equally the literature of every country or even every continent because in the English-speaking world not all literatures are studied in the kind of numbers necessary to keep a book in print. It also explains why the series includes uh, some less obvious titles such as Charlotte Dacre's gothic novels of Floyer which features uh, an aggressive and highly sexualised female protagonist or Henry Mackenzie's sentimental novel The Man of Feeling. These aren't better books, for example, than D.H. Lawrence's The White Peacock or anything by George Meredith. Um, it's just that they are, for now, uh, popular enough in the classroom for us to be able to keep them in print. This reliance on the market, however, also brings opportunities. Authors and titles move in and out of critical fashion, so while there is a core list of classics that will never go out of print, the canon isn't set in stone. Every generation re-evaluates the classics and elevates those that chime most nearly with its own immediate preoccupations. Fashionable areas at the moment, such as Gothic literature or colonial and post-colonial literature, 
mean we can publish titles that might not otherwise be thought of in the same breath as Homer or Jane Austen. For example, we publish successful editions of Mrs. Beaton's Book of Household Management, Captain Scott's Journals, Tarzan of the Apes, and Scouting for Boys. These all have really interesting things to say about empire, class, gender, national identity, and so on. And they can be read against other contemporary literature in ways that really illuminate the attitudes and ideas of the time. Critical reevaluation also gives the opportunity to revisit editions that have been in print for a number of years and to commission fresh editorial material that can take into account the most recent scholarship and even sometimes replace one version of a text with another. Inevitably, the notion of what constitutes a classic is altered when the classic is segmented into smaller and smaller disciplines. The Iliad is a classic. The Secret Garden is a classic of children's literature. The Diary of a Nobody is a classic of comic fiction. Wyndham Lewis's Tar is a classic of modernist fiction and so on. It's, it's also interesting in a series such as uh, Oxford World's Classics to include great books that are not always examined from a literary critical perspective, books like the Bible or the Book of Common Prayer. Introducing them as great works of literature um, casts new light on their influence and the introduction and notes that are a distinguishing feature of the series add value to appreciation of the work, not only for the student but for any interested reader, as well as shedding fresh light on the text's classic status, what it is about it that makes it a classic. So inclusion in the OWC list these days is, is still, I hope, a hallmark of merit, but the merit it recognises is that of articulating and communicating ideas about the human condition that interest us today, dictated by what people want to buy, rather than what the publisher thinks they ought to buy, or what the publisher most likes to read herself. So, and that's what I'd like to say. 